Hey everyone, welcome back to Southern Pride Storytime. I am so excited to talk to you today. Today we're going to continue the story of Ku Cullen. Last week we, we left off when he had just received his name, Ku Cullen, or the Hound of Kulin, after the boy Satanta killed the dog of the Smith Kulin when uh, he was attacked by the dog that was really just defending its territory. Kulin was, of course, really broken up about his dog being killed in this way, and Satanta felt really badly about this, so he offered to protect Kulin's lands and his oxen in replacement for the dog until a new dog could be brought up and raised, thus giving him the name Kukulin, the Hound of Kulin. And so from there, we'll continue. Now remember, Kukulin is only seven years old at this point, and another day not too long after the issue where he became the Hound, um, would leave an equally huge mark on his future. The wise druid, Cathbad, drew all of the boys of the training grounds at Imanmaka around him and declared that all young men who took up arms that day would become legendary heroes. Their great and glorious lives would never be forgotten. Excited, Kukulin ran to the armory and picked out the largest, heaviest spear he could and wielded the spear or the sword in some versions, it, it varies, with more agility than a grown man, much to the amusement of his uncle, King Kankobar. This seemed like a glorious development to both of them until Cathbad entered and shook his head in sorrow. In his reckless eagerness, Kukulin had not listened to the end of the prophecy. Those who took up arms today would become a great hero of legend, but live a short and tragic life. Kukulin had sealed his own fate at the tender age of seven years old. Kukulin considered fame and glory a worthy life, even if it was short, but Cathbad was grieved at the boy's future. Ten years later, Kukulin had grown into a handsome, gold-haired, blue-eyed demigod. He longed for battle, but his kingdom was at peace. It's funny, usually it's the other way around. You long for peace, but your country's at war. Well, this guy's, it's opposite day for Kukulin. <laughs> the only conflict within his kingdom was that of a conflict with the sons of, I want to call it Nectanskina, um, is the woman's name. And her husband was killed in battle by King Kankabar's men. And so she sent her, her mighty sons out to kill Kankabar's men, the Ulstermen, as frequently as she possibly could out of vengeance for her husband's death. Hearing the ordeal of his countrymen and being slain for the sake of this woman's vengeance, Kukulin took his horse and his slither and went out in search of conflict. This dude is always fighting with his hurling equipment. I don't, you, you've got a sword now, dude. Calm down. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's, maybe it's a thing. I don't know how often people bring their, their sports equipment with them to battle, but that's a lot of commitment. I guess it just makes him all the more Irish. It's kind of like uh, Anthony Hopkins in The Mask of Zorro when uh, he asks what the deadliest weapon in Zorro's arsenal is, and the answer is a spoon. It's very surprising. Either way, Kukulin takes his slither and hits the road to go catch up with the the sons of Nectinskina and uh, make them stop killing all his countrymen, which, you know, as a high-ranking noble is probably a good idea. He's pretty invested in the future of this country. Not a great thing when 
his countrymen are getting killed off. Eventually, he does find the home of Necton Schema, and uh, it's fenced all the way around with the skulls of Ulstermen that these three sons of hers had slain. So we talked the other week about Baba Yaga and her fence around her chicken house being made out of the bones of humans she had eaten. This is a similar flex, except this is just exclusively skulls in this fence. So I picture it, I don't know, I picture Baba Yaga's fence as being almost like a like a picket fence made out of bones, whereas Necton Skeena's I picture as being more like a stone fence, but instead of stones, it's just skulls. Since skulls are kind of round, they, they would fit that structure a little better. I don't know why. That's also kind of when I picture architecture of fences and stuff like that in Ireland. I picture it as being a bit more stone and rocky based. I could be wrong. I've never been there personally. But in, in Dublin, Ohio, they try to base a lot of their structures on that same kind of cultural architecture. And a lot of their work there is stonework. And I think that's part of why I kind of associate, you know, fencing and stuff from actual Ireland and, you know, housing construction and stuff like that. I picture it as being kind of stone cottages as well. And it's probably because of this, you know, because of Dublin, Ohio, more so than actual Ireland, because I've never been there. But that's how I picture it is just instead of using stones in the stone fence, using skulls, because it said specifically it's made out of their skulls. What these sons of Necton Skeena did with the rest of the bodies of the over 500 Ulster men they've killed, you got me. I have no idea. Probably something. Also, do not build fences out of skulls. Skulls, you know, biodegrade as they decompose, and that's going to be a super unstable fence. Just putting that out there for all practicality. You're going to have big air holes in your fence sometime within the next hundred years where the skulls have decomposed. Not a great building design. But, you know, great intimidation tactic, and it worked on everybody except apparently Ku Cullen, who at 17 years old rides right up to this icky, stinky fence. I'm sure it didn't smell good, guys. And called out to the sons of Necton Schema, challenging them. The eldest came out to challenge Ku Cullen in turn. Ku Cullen threw his slither at the man so hard that the ball emerged from the backside of the man's skull. It specifically says in the writings that you, the sky could be seen through it. So that hurling game is over, friends. Game over. Yuck. Gross. <laughs> That's, you're done. When you can see the sky through your skull, you're, you're done. That's it for you. The second son left the home to avenge his brother, who left to apparently avenge his father. And uh, this only resulted in Ku Cullen taking a spear that he had brought with him, King Conkabar's spear, and just skewering him right through like a shish kebab. Man kebab, he's, he, he's stabbed through. He's impaled through the man's shield even. So it went through the shield and through the man. Violence in our story today, guys. Sorry, I should have put a warning up on that. This is really, really bad. <laughs> the youngest then went to take his turn and he mocked Cullen, which to me sounds like a dumb idea. When you've seen that kind of carnage take place right before you go outside, I just maybe maybe you don't come out being a jerk. I don't know. Maybe you'd come out there and try to decide to like try and talk things out. Just just saying. 
I don't know. That's not this guy's method, though. He comes out there mocking Kukulin about, you know, the, the Ulstermen and how they're savage monsters and how they're unjust and corrupt and terrible people. And he raged at Kukulin and basically charged at him. And together they fought until they fell off a cliff and into the river. As he hit the water, Kukulin's rage consumed him. His body shifted and twisted into a monster, bones and organs twisting to where they ought not to be. One of his eyeballs bulged into a giant ball underneath his cheekbone, poking out. Oh, it's just, it's gross. You can look it up. There's pictures of just all kinds of different images of the ways in which Kukulin's body twists and contorts not just like a like a contortionist like you see at the circus those people like their legs are still generally the way legs are supposed to be they just bend a little funny we're talking different organs moving to different parts of his body and stuff like that like i said they his eyes were supposed to have moved to different parts of his face his neck thickened like an ox this is like a major transformation. I'm picturing kind of like the, if you've ever played Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, how uh, Ganon switches from looking like a weirdly gray, green-skinned ginger dude to like a giant wild boar. This is the kind of transformation I'm picturing in my mind. I know that's an older game, so some of you may not be as familiar with it, but I'm picturing that level of transformation where you're not only almost unrecognizable as yourself, but even as a human being. This is a totally different person than the Kukulin that went into this battle, right? I mean, something's gone wrong. And in this blind fury, Kukulin cut off the man's heads and took all three back home. Cathbad and Kankabar were horrified to see from atop the city gate what Kukulin had become. He was stuck in what is called a warp spasm. At least that's the translation I found, warp spasm, that made it so that he could no longer tell friend from foe. So this not only gives him incredible, ridiculous power in his bloodlust and in his rage, but it also makes it so that he is blind to whether he is using that power against an enemy or a friend. He raged wildly at everything, like a bull charging on the brink of madness. Cathbad summoned 50 women to form a line in front of Kukulin. When he charged them, the women all disrobed, and when they exposed themselves, even in his warp spasm, in his complete rage-fueled madness, Kukulin turned away in embarrassment. The shock to his system returned him to himself. Which is, you know, nice. You don't think, you don't think of somebody in this complete, you know, bout of madness so much so that they've turned into a monster as still having the decency to look away to protect these ladies' modesty. So, you know, at least at least there's still some decency in him, enough to knock him out of this psychotic rage. Cathbad and Kukulin knew they needed to find a way to calm this warp spasm and the caused by his bloodlust. It's a kind of a combination of both his rage in battle and of course his uh 
his divine heritage being a demigod. It's, it's just more power than a human being is supposed to have, more than is supposed to be housed in our bodies. And we've seen hints of it as he's growing up, both with his ability to beat all of the boys when he first entered the training grounds in Iman Maka, despite being half their age, and his ability to lift his uncle's weapon, despite his uncle being a trained warrior and him being, again, a seven-year-old little child. So he's always been far stronger than he should be for his size and age. But the warp spasm just enhances that strength. I almost think of it as like the avatar state in the last airbender as well, where it's just more power than you're supposed to have. And in that kind of blind fury of power, you lose track of who you're supposed to protect versus who you're supposed to protect against. And so he and Kunkobar know they have to kind of get in control of this thing because while it can be an incredible, incredible asset, it can also be a massive liability if he starts, you know, destroying his allies. So they start trying to work through some mindfulness techniques, some breathing techniques, some physical training, just trying to find a way to get this under control. It was about the same time that Kukulin decides that it's time for him to find a wife. I'm not sure if the two incidences are connected. Maybe it's because his exposure to the ladies made it him aware that maybe having a lady in his life would help him control his rage. I don't know. But it was about the same time he decides it's time to get married. So, Kukulin and his uncle, King Kankobar, it's a lot of C words in this. I'm sorry if I stutter a couple times, guys. They travel around the country, unable to find someone who reached Kukulin's desired level of perfection. Like most 17-year-olds, this guy thinks that he's going to find somebody who is not only perfectly beautiful, but also perfectly virtuous, perfectly sane, perfectly tempered. You know, he's a teenager. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not looking for a spouse who's as flawed as he is. And generally, whether that's what you're looking for or not, that's what you find. But this is a fairy tale, so he probably is going to get his way. But he's looking for a level of perfection that is almost impossible to meet. And thus, he and his uncle have a terrible time finding a lady that is up to his standards. Until, at the southernmost tip of Ulster, they reached the home of a man called Forgal the Wily. I don't want to go asking for anything from a guy who's called the Wily, but they go ahead and give it a shot. And they meet his daughter, Emer, whom they have been told far and wide is the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. Cullen's a little skeptical because, you know, he's been told that everybody's daughter at every kingdom he's gone to is the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. So, you know, he's got his guard up a little bit. He goes into the castle where he's going to stay the night and opens his bedroom window only to hear beautiful harp music playing in the distance. He followed the sound outside and in a small courtyard, he found Emer, the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, playing the harp to entertain the members of her court. He was stunned by her and stood like a statue as she and her maidens greeted him. Then they left to prepare for the feast, and Kukulin told Kankabar that Emer was the bride he was looking for. That one moment was enough for him to know that she was the right one, and to please ask her father for her hand. The king assumed this is going to be pretty easy because it's the nephew of the king. It shouldn't be too hard to make this match happen. 
And so at dinner, Kukulin, assuming everything's going to go his way, is just talking with Emer and happily having a good time. Everyone can see that the two are immediately very attached to each other, very, you know, they, they just have good chemistry. But, but, Emer's elder sister is not yet married, and it was customary for the eldest to marry first. Forgel says that he would be happy for Emer to marry the king's nephew, but he could not shame his eldest daughter by allowing Emer to marry first. When Cucullin heard this, he flew into such a rage that King Conkabar hurried him away, afraid of another warp spasm. Emer was not too pleased herself. She was furious that she had not even been consulted because of a custom that no one had followed in years. She told her father that if she couldn't marry Cucullin, she wouldn't marry anyone. Forgel decided that if Cucullin could try the training of the warrior woman Skatok, he would fail and be killed in training. This is this is a pass or die kind of training, guys. He, he, Skatok is not gentle with her trainees. And so he deliberately, he doesn't want his daughter Emer to marry Kukulin because he knows that Kukulin turns into a monster. He's kind of a scary guy. He's got real, real anger issues and he's got the muscle to back up these anger issues, you know. So Forgel, instead of outrightly declining the proposal, because of course this is the king's nephew, decides instead to disguise himself and goes to dinner with the king and Cucullin and basically cons them into sending Cucullin to train with this warrior woman who kills everybody who fails her training. He thinks, since almost nobody passes Scottox training, that this is going to be the end of Cucullin. Like his, his problem's going to go away without him having any trouble with King Conkobar you know, any awkwardness there in the mix. So he thinks this is the solution. He'll just send Kukulin away to this warrior woman. And Kukulin is kind of upset. He feels that without any ability to try to further pursue Emer, there's really no reason not to go anyway. If he can't, you know, start a family, he may as well become the best warrior he can be. So he agrees and he goes. And that, I think, is going to be a good place to stop for today. I have a little more script written, but I think I can put that into the next episode because we're starting to run a little long here. I'm not sure if you guys listen to this on your commute to work or while you're working out or, you know, what context you're listening in. But I do try to keep these under 15, 20 minutes and then our little shorties and monster episodes I try to keep under 10. So I'm going to try and keep this from rolling too long here and we will continue with Kukulin next week and see what's going to happen with him and Emer. Again, there's a lot more to this legend. I don't think I've even finished the script for half of it yet. So brace yourself because there's going to be more Zelda references. There's going to be more fighting, more violence, and probably more hurling equipment. So I can't wait to continue it with you. Please tune in next time.